Hi, this is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. We hope you are staying safe, sound, and sane as this year continues to drag on and we do all that we have to do to get through this pandemic. Well, how about this? If you want to be on a Zoom call that isn't dreadfully boring, please join us for Zoomapalooza, an interactive adventure of fun, games, comedy, and who knows what else. Tickets are absolutely free or hire us for your next office or corporate event. Just visit pod617.com slash Zoom. That's pod617.com slash Zoom. Now enjoy the following production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Are you ready? It's From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, markers, and thieves. Welcome to the Boston Podcast, the show where we tell the stories of your city through the voices of your city. If you like the show, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, throw us a bone, leave a comment, leave a few stars. We'd love five, but we'll take a couple. We'll take whatever you hand out. It's 2020. You got to take what you can get. And you know what? One of the things that we do when we're quarantined is we self-evaluate, and a lot of us are hit by the pandemic, affected by the pandemic, and wondering what our financial health is like. I have an expert today on the subject of financial health and wellness. His name is Dan Doherty. He's an executive with the firm, the company known as MX, and he's just a good dude. And he's in the virtual studio right now. That's right. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you, David. Thank you. We were just talking before we started recording that you actually, you look very spiffy. You've got the suit coat with no tie look, which is a favorite of mine. And I just want to thank you for actually getting dressed today for the show, even though it's a podcast. Yeah, my pleasure, David. <laughs> so uh, how, first off, how are you doing? How has your quarantine been? You look none worse for the wear, but tell me how it's been. No, it's been great. Uh, a lot of family time, like everybody, and it's it's been cyclical. We're back hunkering down with the kids with school, and I think we're lucky. We've got kids in a good age, a daughter who's challenged with trying to find what college she wants to go to next year. So that's the worst of it for her. She missed she missed some lacrosse last year, but I think she'll be able to captain the lacrosse team this year, which is cool. And then another son who's a freshman, first year at Roxbury Latin, and his first experience is not the traditional handshake they do mm. over there, but more of a learn at home half the time. And then the little guy is doing his native public school thing, but both of them really the soccer, the club soccer has been a godsend because that's got them out running on a regular basis and getting some good outside time. And that's been successful. There hasn't been any kind of illnesses there. So overall, Doherty family is doing great. Thank you. Go Doherty family. And Roxbury Latin was a place where I played a little basketball over the years. I'm a product of Milton Academy, for better or for worse. So I know the school well. Fine institution. Yes. And you, what you do for a living, I think is interesting to me. You and I have talked about it off the air, so to speak. But you work with executives and financial institutions to consider and consult with them on the subject of people's financial wellness. I've probably mangled that at least a little bit. But tell me how you got into this and tell me what it's all about. Yeah, I was I was real lucky that um, in a job search last year that an old friend of mine connected me with this firm MX based out of uh, Salt Lake. And they have been around 10 years. 
And the long and the short of it is there's a series of tools that they have to help banks make their customers happier. And so MX's mission is to empower the world to be financially strong. And we do that by propping up the financial institutions and local communities to be able to drive wellness into their community. And so with that, I've kind of combined many of the things I've done in the past to be able to help these institutions look at where are you today in terms of supporting your community and where can you go tomorrow? And the crazy thing is there is and has never been a measurement, right? A key performance indicator for financial institutions to truly understand where is their community today in terms of wellness and what can and should be done to lift it. They're doing many things to lift it, but nothing that's being measured. And, and so for me, it's super exciting how MX can come in and create these measurements to then look at, oh, okay, what are you doing now to make those measurements better, to make your community stronger? Because at the end of the day, these local community banks are up against it with the Bank of Americas, with these startup neobanks like uh, Chime. And so those are their scary competitors, but what they, those competitors don't have is the proximity and the closeness to the community. And so helping the local financial institutions prop wellness to the community can give them an added benefit to stay along for another you know, 200 years. So let's dig a little deeper on that. How would you define financial wellness? Yeah, wellness, it's funny. I compare it to the wellness that we have of our own personal health. So when we go to a doctor, right, the doctor, the first thing they do is they check your pulse, blood pressure, you know, temperature, weight, and all that, the vitals, Uh right? And so financial wellness, the vitals are borrowing, spending, savings, and planning. And so what is a person doing to improve on those four vitals? And where are they on their journey, right? Some of them may be struggling in all four of those. So which would be the first one to try to improve upon. And so like a good doctor, a doctor can take a, a drop of blood and then make recommendations on the types of vitamins and medicines that you should be taking, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, and that's analytics, right? The data is the blood, the analytics then spits out a prescription. Mm-hmm. So what I'm really excited about MX is we can take data that's hard to understand for these financial institutions, run it through these analytics to really ascertain what are the vitals needs the most help at this time for an individual and make recommendations to those individuals to improve their wellness and in doing so track the score, the measurement of how their wellness is. And when we add all those scores up for all the customers, then we get the community wellness score, which becomes the North star for some of our leading financial institutions to drive wellness into their community. Mm-hmm. What how would you describe the relationship that most people have with their banks and financial institutions? And should we be, I'm going to sound like a pitch person. Should we be demanding more of our banks and financial institutions? Yeah, I think so. I just thought in my head, it just kind of popped in. Like when I grew up, right. If I wanted to watch TV, it was the TV guide. It was Mm -hmm. on me, right. I had to go to the TV guide and figure out what was on a Tuesday night at eight o'clock. Right. Nowadays, when I finish a great series from Netflix and it's awesome and I'm excited and I'm kind of bummed because it's over and I don't know what the next thing I want is, I don't go to a TV guide. Netflix pops a couple of recommendations up for me, right? And where banking is, they're still kind of in the TV guide era. Mm. Like you go down to the bank and there's a bunch of brochures and you got to kind of figure out maybe, do I need a better credit card? Do I need a loan? Do I need to refinance my house? And 
And so I think the opportunity is real for financial institutions to behave like Netflix and be able to provide the best next thing for a customer. We call it advocacy. So the thing with Netflix, and you're right, it's a great analogy because with the technolo- technology, I know I can speak, I can say that word. <laughs> I'm afraid of it, Dan. That's why I'm having trouble saying it, technology. <laughs> I was once in a, in a, we were tasked to write and perform our own play in the eighth grade. And I remember we, we wrote about a dystopian future where technology was the new religion. And I was the reverend of technology. It, we did not get any calls from Broadway. Let's just put it that way. Anyway, but sometimes we're actually scared of how much Netflix knows about us. And of course, there are the tales of the first one I ever saw was this couple who decided to do an experiment and just started talking about cat food and cats, even though they didn't have a cat. And eventually they started seeing these ads for cat food popping up on their social media streams. And that's how they knew that Steve Jobs or Zuckerberg or someone was listening in on them. Is there any concern for that? I take it what you do touches upon the fringes of security. In other words, the the banks gather information about the people, but they they also want to make sure they know that their information is private. Does that come up? Yeah, big time. And so what's happening, a big trend is what we call open banking, which has been very popular in Europe and now is moving to the States. And, And we at MX are actually changing it to open finance. So what does that mean? That means the ability to be able to connect different parts of our lives to the bank so that we can provide better advocacy for us. So an example would be MX has this great aggregation technology. So a lot of our customers, for example, my dad was in the Navy and I'm a USAA customer. I'm a member, Mm -hmm. right? And so for years, and I've been using it for about 10 years, not knowing it was MX technology, I can go to USAA and connect all of my accounts, right? So I can pull in my, my Chase car loan, Uh, my Fidelity rollovers, my Schwab investments, my mortgage for my house, my three credit cards. And now I've got one financial snapshot on one screen for my my whole financial life. Mm. And that's pretty cool, right? But the problem with that, David, is that we've so long, we've for so long have just trusted that giving our credentials, right? User and password is just okay. Everybody's doing it, right? Mm. So Mm. I'm going to do that. So now the challenge starts to become, what can we do to make sure that data is safe? And there's a lot of cool fringe technologies on that. And so one of the things that MX does is we're building out the ability for the end user to control their data, to say, no, I don't want you to go to Chase and get that account. I just want the car account. And no, I don't want to be able to have access to this and to that and granular level user permission access points. And so again, my health analogy would be you got HIPAA, right? Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of rules that are going to prevent my data from flying around in the medical world, right? Pretty well regulated. Mm -hmm. So MX is taking the next step just on our own to create regulated rules to allow the user to be able to control their data. And and we never, ever sell the data. So which is unique in our space and our I like to refer to us as the cowboy with the white hat because (laughs) while others will make money, right, and get bought out by massive other financial institutions, which is happening because they sell that data, we don't sell the data. And so that's critical. And I think what's happening now is, is banks are starting to see that, hey, look, we need to be able to control this data and give the users the, per- the right to permission this. And, and quite frankly, MX is in a great position to be able to help large institutions do that. 
the times have changed and you and I are of a similar generation. I think, uh, Dan, I'm probably older because I'm older than everybody these days, but I'm an, I'm old enough to remember the days where money was a lot more tangible. I'll use that word for lack of a better one than other. In other words, if you wanted to go on vacation and the vacation is going to cost $500, which sometimes vacations actually cost as little as $500 back then in the 70s. And you didn't have $500 in the bank. You didn't go on vacation. Credit cards were not really a thing until, I I don't know, I want to say mid-70s or so, late-70s, their 80s, whatever. And now, and when you wanted money, you went to the bank and you stood in line sometimes and you filled out a withdrawal slip, which still exists, I guess. But now, then with the advent of ATM machines, of course, that changed anything for the better. I think most people would agree. But you rarely see somebody writing out a check in line at the grocery store. And when you do, you get really annoyed. But so, and now people are paying with things on their phones. So I ask you the impossible question, Dan. Look into the future 30, 40 years from now. What, and I don't know if this is answerable, but what could be next? Could it be chips implanted in our wrists that we just wave? And, but, or maybe more to the point, could there be some more sort of centralization? Because what you're talking about is the MX product that will kind of get your whole financial picture down to one screen. Uh, not literally, maybe, but you can kind of see everything rather than having four different credit cards and two different loans and everything. So now you have the impossible task of answering that rambling question, but... Any thoughts? Yeah, I think 30, 40 years. What I'm really stoked about is this notion of verifiable digital identities, right? To be able to have your own portable digital ID, right? Mm -hmm. And this is not MX. This is just, you asked the question about the future. But if you think about blockchain technology or ledger technology, this is what made crypto and, and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency so popular. Why? Because you can't really track where the transaction's going. And so what did that lead to? It led to nefarious activities. But if we take that same technology and we flip it around and say, well, what if, you know, we could track where I'm going and not be able to know where I've been, but know that it is me and Mm. people are sure that it is me. And then you would make what are called these verifiable claims. And these would be ancillary companies out there that do nothing but verify. They're approved and verifiers. So did I, was I born in Colombia, the country of Colombia? There would be a company that would then go and check the databases of Colombia and see I was born there and then verify that, yeah, Dan was born in Colombia. Did I go to Skidmore College? Oh, there's another verifiable company that's verifying that, yep, Dan went to Skidmore and, mm. and then I can use a permission that I wanted my GPA to show. And guess where that's going to show up? It's going to be a verifiable badge on places like LinkedIn. And then companies like ADP are going to be able to do verifiable that, yep, Dan worked at Dun & Bradstreet, then he went and worked at Onfido, and then he went to work at MX. And so what I see is, yeah, this idea of a chip inside of somebody, that's cool, right? That's futuristic. But it's more about really understanding who somebody is and then allowing that person to have the ability to control where and what they want to present. And now back to the blockchain, right? Mm -hmm. So I present that, yep, I am me and I went to this school and that's what you need to know, David. Nobody else needs to know that. And poof, it's off the blockchain, right? Mm. So it's turning this kind of cool thing in. So I'm a big believer in this whole digital identity piece. And here's the one that gets me really stoked, right? What if, what if I took the vaccine Mm. and I needed to go on vacation to Maine and prove that I took the vaccine? I don't want everybody in the world to know that, right? right? I show up at the resort. I show my verifiable claim, they see it, 
and then that's good. I'm in and poof, it evaporates because it's on the blockchain. So yeah. that, that's an area I'm pretty fired up about. Yeah, it, it's the, the fear, of course, is Big Brother and some unseen nefarious being in the cloud knows everything about us and can control us. But, but let's not ignore the positives of that. As a very small example, I was at a networking meeting back when we used to go to meetings in person, probably more than a year ago. But one guy said, hey, everybody try this if you don't mind. If you have the LinkedIn app on your phone, open it up. And then he told us to click a certain preference, which sort of opened up our LinkedIn profile to the world. And as soon as everyone did that, and I'm, I'm not telling the full story because I don't remember exactly how it happened, but everyone in the room's profile would pop up on your phone and allow you to connect with that person on LinkedIn. And so it was kind of a cool aha moment. And what you're describing is if you had this personal identity and you opted to make it public in certain you know situations, you could know that you were in the same room as someone who you went to high school with, and maybe you just forgotten about them, or you both went to the same college, or you both enjoy the Rolling Stones or something. And that's, that to me is exciting, right? Yeah, and, and absolutely. And to be able to control that, because sometimes when we go to a party, we don't want to be known, sometimes we do. And that's so right. the ability for the user permissioning I think is the open is the open field in front of us, and there's a lot of companies that are seeing that, and a lot of smaller startups in the in the fintech space that are like, oh, okay, wow, let's rally behind this this area. So again, a little off topic in terms of what we do, but it does connect to the wellness play, which is if people are comfortable that their information is not going in a ton of different directions, then they're more prone to use it, and I think that's where financial institutions need to get. A level of comfort and be and let their customers or members know that hey look we're an advocate for you and controlling that data should be an important part of that going forward dan doherty is his name the company is mx you can learn more about it mx.com and dan why don't you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you directly yeah i'm here just outside of boston and natick my email is dan dot Doherty spelled D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y at MX.com. Oh, you can always give me a call at uh, 781-405-6561 or connect with me on LinkedIn. Now, here's the million dollar question. Why are you a Doherty and not a Doherty? That's a great, and the only answer I have after <laughs> 50 some odd years of explaining it is because my father grew up in Philadelphia. Okay. <laughs> and back in the turn of the century around the 1900s, there was a cardinal in the Catholic church mm-hmm. who said, I'm Cardinal Doherty. It became Cardinal Doherty High School down there. So if you ever hear somebody that pronounces it Doherty, be really fast and really sharp and say, what part of Philadelphia did you go Oh, up? that's a good tip. Yeah. See, my name is the most mispronounced three-letter surname, Y-A-S, which my name was shortened from a sort of Polish, Russian, Eastern European name, Yasovlan. So my grandfather got to decide how to pronounce it. And I still don't know whether he, certain parts of our family used to call it Yas, Y-A-S. But then you grow up in Boston and Collier Stremski is the best Red Sox player and he's Yaz. And so we are too. So just say Yaz, everybody. Uh, He's my favorite. (laughs) My brother's absolute favorite. I was a Dwight Evans guy, but my brother was Yaz. Oh, well, I was both. Yastrzemski was the one I gravitated to when I first became a fan, but Dwight Evans shortly became my favorite of all time. Just pure class, clutch guy. And uh, yeah, I see that number 24 and people think it's Manny Ramirez, but to me, it'll always be Dewey. 
What an arm, right? And then I'll be, I'll I'll say another thing is is he is now replaced with JB, Jackie Bradley Jr. to me is just the, I, my favorite baseball player, maybe of all time, the way he throws a ball, the way he approaches a game, the way he goes after a ball. Yes, he may not be that good at the plate, but to go to Fenway Park and watch him play, mm-hmm. I'll be able to tell my kids and their kids that I saw JBJ play. That's how much I like his style. And you know what? I, maybe we're, we're cut from the same cloth because I've always loved defense because it's, it's always been sort of underrated defense, right? I mean, maybe back in the 70s, it was more because I remember Mark Belanger was often mentioned as one of the great shortstops of all time. Nowadays, he wouldn't be mentioned because he hit like 202 every year or something. But he was a vacuum cleaner at shortstop. And I remember watching Alex Gonzalez, who was just kind of a garden variety player in most people's eyes, but he could play when the year he spent with the Red Sox there would be balls that he would go into the hole and just and scoop up that you would think was completely impossible. And then the Red Sox have, we've had the luxury of watching not only JBJ in center field, but going back to Coco Crisp, who, who was average hitter, but he could fly, Ellsbury. It's so much fun watching those guys. It's like an art form, yeah. Good. I miss going to see baseball games. Ugh. Anyway, before we depart, Dan and I are going to play a quick round of good stuff where both Dan and I will recommend something good for you listeners to check out if you're still home, because we are all still home. Let's face it. Let's be real. And before we do that, let me take a minute just to tell you what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. Pod617.com is where you go. If you would like your own podcast, now's a great time to start one up for whether you're a professional a lawyer, an accountant, a business owner, or anything in between. Podcasting is a great way to keep in touch with your network, your clients, your potential clients. You invite them to be guests on your show. They'll be amazed at the product that comes out the other end. We do everything for you. Intro music, outro music, posting your podcast on pod617.com, but also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Podcasts and wherever you find your pods. Go to pod617.com to get started. The Boston Podcast Network in pod we trust. Let's play a round of good stuff. That's the good stuff. So I have this affliction, Dan. I watch way too much television. So when it is my turn for good stuff, I'm going to recommend something I've seen on TV. But you being the uh, more refined, noble, cultured person, I think you have a book recommendation for us. So fire away. Yeah, I just um, finished up Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights. Oh, Uh, I heard him talking about this recently. Yeah, how was it? It was good. Really good, actually. I'll admit I liked the part before he became famous. And then when he became famous, what was pretty cool, because I didn't follow him throughout his whole career, was he was very good about just kind of rushing through like the movies that he was in. And then I would go and watch the trailers of Mm -hmm. each movie. So I was actually able to follow his career. But the thing that really struck me about Matthew is, 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 is one, talk about right spot at the right time. Mm-hmm. One night in a bar in Austin, met a guy. He was working really hard at what he wanted to try to do. And, and he landed a role in a short little B movie. And, and then that was it. And off he went. And so it was a rocket ride. And, it, and, and he had episodes in his life where he had to kind of take two steps back to go three steps forward. And those steps forwards he calls green lights. He has his yellow lights and his red lights. And Mm. so it's a pretty cool book in terms of looking at, hey, wow, I remember that, what some of my yellow lights and red lights have been and 
and clearly some of the green lights in, in my life. And so it, it, it's kind of cool to kind of compare yourself to a movie star and have a couple of those moments of aha. So a really good read, um, not over the top Hollywood, not over the top ego, just a Texas dude telling it how it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised he didn't call it green light is, uh, <laughs> to rhyme with all right, all right. He's, uh, I love Matthew McConaughey and he, I think he, he catches some flack in, in the popular culture and the, the tabloids and such because he's a little odd and those commercials for Lincolns are very easy to parody, which they have been. But I, I always love listening to him on interviews. He's actually a thoughtful guy. He has this deal with Jim Beam, who actually hired him to be like a creative director or something of their products. And rather than just lend his name to a liquor, he actually got involved with the whole process. And he talks about how he, he now they produce something that he's very proud of. And how can you not just enjoy a good, a couple moments of McConaughey? Very good. So I will recommend a, a TV show that uh, it's a Netflix documentary, actually. So it is called Trial 4. And maybe you've heard of this, listeners, because uh, it's the news is spreading about this. I'm going to play a little bit of the trailer of Trial 4 on Netflix, and it'll sort of explain itself. And Dan, you can watch, and our listeners can just listen. Here it is. My name is Sean Ellis. And I was wrongfully convicted of murder at 19. Now I'm facing my fourth trial and the possibility of going back to prison for life. The death of a police officer. It's not handled like other homicides, and this one wasn't. The sense we got was Mulligan's past had caught up with him. And when a black kid got arrested, it's like, where'd that come from? Here we go again. In my opinion, Sean Ellis executed John Mulligan. I was scared. I was confused. My son was in jail for murder. Yo, give us the keys. The first words out of Sean's mouth is, I was there that night. Across the back bridge, my cousin, I came out and went home. Down on my knees. Why would somebody put themselves in the middle of a homicide if they were involved? Yeah. The cops were just looking for someone to pin this murder on. Ellis was convicted by the work of corrupt police detectives. The corruption within the Boston Police Department is what drove this investigation. There's nothing that connects Sean to this crime. The Attorney General's office knows about it. U.S. Attorney's office knows about it. There's no conspiracy. Sean Ellis did it. I mean, it's as simple as that. He did it. There is a cultural cover-up that has affected the Boston Police Department police departments everywhere across the country. So you can tell that not everybody agrees on whether this guy, Sean Ellis, is guilty because you've got opinions all across the board. It's, it's just a well-done documentary. The keepers of content in our world have discovered that people can't get enough of true crime stories for whatever reason. But this isn't just another old, another like dredge up an old case and kind of Put it out there. It's well done. And if you grew up in the Boston area like me, you'll recognize a lot. Well, now listen, it's personal to me because I worked at Lawyers Weekly for 15 years. And so I know the lawyer, Ellis's appellate lawyer, Rosemary Scarpiccio, and she's interviewed throughout. They have interviews with Ellis, who's now a free man, and a lot of the judges and Boston Globe reporters. And you can see it's just interesting that the cops they interview after all these years, are absolutely convinced that he was, he gunned down that cop named Mulligan outside of Walgreens back in whatever year it was. And then there are others that say there's no way he could have done it. So I'm about halfway through it yet. So 
Anyway, Trial 4 is what it's called. And sadly, it's called Trial 4 because he had to go to Trial 4 separate times to face charges for the same murder, three mistrials. So, Dan, will you take a look at that and, and report back to me? Absolutely. <laughs> it's good. No, I'm going to sit down with the boys and watch that one. Yeah, it's it, it's a good take, and it moves along real quickly. So, and we're always looking for the next thing on Netflix, and Netflix rules the world, and so there you go. So, Thank you. Once again, Dan Doherty, you can find out more at MX.com. Reach out to Dan. Good guy to know. And especially in the field of financial wellness, if you work for a financial institution, he's the guy you should be connecting with. Thank you, Dan. I hope you had a little bit of fun this morning. Had tons of fun, David. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, if you like this podcast, then seek professional help. No, I'm kidding. I was going to say, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. If you want your own podcast, go to pod617.com to get started. We'll produce the whole thing for you. On behalf of Dan Doherty, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. Uh